Hey, faithful listener, welcome to season six of the Bible Explained podcast, the podcast where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and enjoy today's discussion from the book of Joshua. Good morning, friends and faithful listeners. Hope you had a fantastic Sunday. My Sunday was actually very wonderful. We uh, did a lot of serving yesterday with the youth group and got the room nice and cleaned. It was great. So we did that yesterday and I was able to just enjoy the rest of the day with my husband. So that's always nice. You know, it's really funny because uh, my husband, I talk about him quite a bit, I would say, but I've never shown a picture of him or... (laughs) (laughs) or anything. And so I I bet some of you are wondering, like, does she actually have a husband? (laughs) I do. I promise he's not fake. I do have a husband. But anyway, maybe someday I can get him on the podcast. But he's he's very shy. He's camera shy. He's microphone shy and he's picture shy. So it's going to be difficult to get him on the podcast. But someday, someday I will force him on here and he's going to have to reveal himself. (laughs) It'll happen. Okay, so let's go ahead and read Joshua chapter 23 today, verses 1 through 16, which is the entire chapter. It's actually a rather short chapter, and I'm actually going to be reading it out of the NLT version this morning instead of the WEB that I usually read out of. And the reason I'm switching over to the NLT is because, once again, I just really like the way the NLT words this particular chapter, specifically regarding the part where it talks about intermarrying with the Canaanites. So let's go ahead and read this and let's see why it was wrong for the Israelites to intermarry. And as always, make sure to grab your cup of Seven Weeks Coffee, the coffee brand that supports life in the womb. They donate 10% of everything they make to pregnancy centers and their coffee is just super tasty. So why not get a cup of Seven Weeks Coffee? You're going to find my link for Seven Weeks in the description of the podcast episode. When you click my link to purchase something, 10% will not just go to pregnancy centers, but another 10% will be donated to P40 Ministries. So grab your cup of coffee and let's go ahead and read Joshua 23 once again out of the NLT version this morning. The years passed and the Lord had given the people of Israel rest from all of their enemies. Joshua, who is now very old, called together all the elders, leaders, judges, and officers of Israel. He said to them, I am now a very old man. You have seen everything the Lord your God has done for you during my lifetime. The Lord your God has fought for you against your enemies. I have allotted to you as your homeland all the land of the nations yet unconquered, as well as the land of those you have already conquered from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. This land will be yours, for the Lord your God will himself drive out all the people living there now. You will take possession of their land just as the Lord your God promised you. So be very careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. Do not deviate from it, turning either to the right or to the left. Make sure you do not associate with the other people still remaining in the land. Do not even mention the names of their gods, much less swear by them or serve them or worship them. Rather, cling tightly to the Lord your God as you have done until now. For the Lord has driven out great and powerful nations for you, and no one yet has been able to defeat you. Each one of you will put to flight a thousand of the enemy, for the Lord your God fights for you, just as he has promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. 
But if you turn away from him and cling to the customs of the survivors of the nations remaining among you, and if you intermarry with them, then know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive them out of your land. Instead, they will be a snare and a trap to you, a whip for your backs and thorny brambles in your eyes, and you will vanish from this good land the Lord your God has given you. Soon I will die, going the way of everything on earth. Deep in your hearts, you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. But as surely as the Lord your God has given you the good things he has promised, he will also bring disaster on you if you disobey him. He will completely destroy you from this good land he has given you. If you break the covenant of the Lord your God by worshiping and serving other gods, his anger will burn against you and you will quickly vanish from the good land he has given you. So now it says that several years have passed and Joshua is now very old. In the next chapter, it's going to mention that Joshua dies at the age of 110 years old. So that's very, very old, especially by today's standards, where not a lot of people live to the age of 110. I, I don't know anybody who has ever lived that long. My husband's grandma, who I believe was 97 when she died, we were all like, wow, like she lived such a full and long life. So like even now, there's not many people in the world that are 110 years old when they died. So Joshua is very, very old at this point. And so he calls together all the elders and leaders and princes and judges and officers of Israel, basically, to say his goodbyes to them. And so he says to them, I am now very old. You have seen everything the Lord your God has done for you during my lifetime. So this is what's really cool about Joshua's statement to the elders here is that he takes the focus off of himself extremely quickly. It wasn't about Joshua. Even though Joshua was literally about to die, Joshua's only goal with this conversation to the elders was for them to continue to serve Yahweh with all of their hearts. So he immediately takes the focus off of him and puts it onto God. He says, you have seen everything the Lord your God has done for you during my lifetime, which is true. I mean, Joshua lived a very long and full life, was probably one of the oldest people in Israel at this time period. Don't forget, because he lived pre-wilderness. So he he truly was the, the oldest man pretty much in Israel at this point. And so... He reminds the elders of all the wonderful things that God had done during Joshua's lifetime. And he says, look, you guys have seen everything that happened. You've seen all the miracles. You saw how we miraculously crossed the Jordan River. You saw how God destroyed this nation and this nation in front of us and how he gave us victory. You saw the sun stand still in the sky. You saw everything that God did for us. And so he says, because you've seen all these wonderful miracles, basically remember them. Remember how the Lord your God has fought for you against your enemies. And then he goes into, in verse four, how he allots the land to all of Israel. He says, look, I allotted all the land. And so some of it still isn't taken yet, but it's still yours. So even after I die, go take that land. Everything's all set for you to go. Just go do it. My death shouldn't matter. Just go and take the land is what he says. So he doesn't want the people to 
fall backwards, I guess, after he dies. So that's another thing that is very important to Joshua. He's expecting the people and wanting the people to continue forward on this forward path towards victory, even after he dies. And so that's another important point that Joshua makes here. He says to the elders, make sure the people do what they are supposed to do even after I die. He says in verse five, this land will be yours for the Lord your God himself will drive out all the people living there now and you will take possession of their land just as the Lord your God promised you. So the first two things Joshua mentions to the elders, he tells them, firstly, remember all the miracles that God did for you while I was alive. Secondly, once I die, go and take the promised land for yourselves. Basically, he's saying that his death shouldn't be an excuse for the Israelites to not do what they're supposed to do, if that makes sense. So he says, continue to to take possession of the land. And then in verse six, he says, when you take possession of the land, be careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. So that would be the Old Testament law. He says, do not deviate from it, turning either to the right or to the left. So that's just old fashioned language to say, stay on the straight and narrow path. Basically, don't go on this path. Don't go on that path. That seems better. Stick with the path that God gave you. So if God says to do this one thing, then do that one thing. Don't do that one thing and this thing also, or don't kind of do this one thing and and sort of do another thing. Just do what God tells you to do. And so then he says, make sure that you do not associate with the other people still remaining in the land. Do not even mention the names of their gods, much less swear by them or serve them or worshiping them. So notice the first thing Joshua says in this verse. Do not even mention the names of their gods. Why would Joshua say that? Why is that so important to not even say these little G gods names? Because when you start to say something, it becomes more and more truthful to you. Does that make sense? Like, for example, I was reading a book a while ago, and I don't remember the name of the book. I'm sorry. But it was talking about how if you want to become a certain thing, you need to introduce yourself as that thing. Like, say, for example, you want to become a morning person. You would begin associating yourself as a morning person. You would be like, hi, my name is Jen and I am a morning person, basically. You would begin to say it and then that would retrain your mind to begin to believe it. And then all of a sudden you would start hopefully becoming a morning person. And this is a common tactic, actually. That's This is something I'm working on with my counselor because I have a phobia, actually. Uh, <laughs> I have a phobia of throwing up. I don't think I've ever mentioned that before on the podcast, but I do. I, I do not want to throw up. I'm trying to get over this phobia and this fear because it holds me back on a lot of things because I'm an obsessive hand washer and, you know, I, I make myself sick sometimes just trying not to get sick so one of the things i'm doing is when that phobia pops up for me and i feel that fear i will say in my mind i am not afraid of throwing up and so i'm like trying to like retrain myself to not have this fear 
of throwing up, basically. But whether or not it's working, I'm not sure. <laughs> it seems to be, actually. I have, I have been a little bit less concerned about it. But OK, moving forward, though, the point is when you begin to say something, it starts becoming more normal for you. So this is why Joshua tells the elders not even to utter the names of these gods that the Canaanites worship. Because if you begin to say the names of these gods, it's going to become more and more normalized for everybody. And then eventually people might begin to believe that those those gods are real. And then they'll begin to worship them and they'll begin to serve them. And then they'll begin to swear by them and fully abandon Yahweh or worship Yahweh partially and serve these other gods as well, which does end up happening quite a lot in scripture. But Joshua says in verse eight, rather cling tightly to the Lord your God as you have done until now. So don't even begin to think about these other gods. Just totally remove them. Abandon these gods and serve Yahweh. Cling tightly to Yahweh. For the Lord has driven out great and powerful nations for you, and no one has yet been able to defeat you. Each one of you will put to flight a thousand of the enemy for the Lord your God fights for you just as he has promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. That's a very beautiful verse in verse 11. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. So because God was driving out these Canaanite regions, that means that God was also getting rid of all of the gods of those regions. As we move forward into the story more, we're going to see how a lot of times the Israelites will abandon Yahweh and begin to serve the Canaanite gods. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and many times in the scriptures, it'll say something like the Israelites began to do the customs and the practices of the people who God rejected and who God drove out of the land. God drove the Canaanites out of the land for a very specific reason. Because their paganism and their gods were unhealthy. And not just unhealthy, they were destructive. A lot of times these pagan cultures would be very cruel to humans and animals alike. In the Old Testament, I don't even know how many times this law is stated, but God says, do not boil a young goat in his mother's milk. That's because the Canaanites would do this sick practice of literally boiling to death a young goat in his mother's milk as like a fertility thing. Not to mention, don't forget the amount of human and baby sacrifices that would happen in these Canaanite regions. The Canaanites would literally sacrifice their newborn babies by by scalding them to death, burning them to death on these like hands of brass. They would like set these their babies like on these hands of brass and watch their baby like literally melt in front of them. And it's very gruesome stuff, extremely gruesome and sick things that the Canaanites would do with these cultish paganistic practices that God said were absolutely detestable to him. And this is why God warns his people over and over, 
Don't do these things. Don't worship these gods. And I mean, here's the thing. The people might be like, well, we're, we can worship these little G gods, but we're not going to, you know, sacrifice our children on these brass hands. Well, when you begin to worship these gods and that stuff becomes normalized, you are one step away from doing that. And I mean, look at today's culture. When I was in high school 10 years ago, I didn't have to worry about the same things that the teenagers have to worry about now. That means that 10 years ago, we were only one step away from where we're at now. The old saying, you give an inch and they'll take a mile. <laughs> but that's true for everybody. You know, we, we start dabbling a little bit in something that doesn't seem quite right, but we're just like, yeah, it'll be fine. You know, it'll be fine if we just waver a little bit from God's law and start doing this one thing. Well, eventually it's going to become way worse than that. And so that's what Joshua is warning here. And then he goes into this intermarrying. Verse 12 says, if you turn away from him and cling to the customs of the survivors of these nations remaining among you, and if you intermarry with them, then know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive them out of your land. Instead, they will be a snare and a trap to you. So when the Israelites begin intermarrying with the Canaanites that are remaining in the land... It actually says that God is no longer going to help the Israelites because the Israelites chose something that was against God. They chose to intermarry with the pagans. Now, this would be different if a Canaanite person decided to live as a Jewish person and follow the Jewish laws. For example, Rahab. We talked about Rahab at the beginning of Joshua and how she was a harlot in Jericho, she ended up converting to Judaism and becoming a Hebrew woman herself. And she intermarried uh, with the Hebrews. And actually, she was in the line of Christ. But that's a different that's a different thing. What God is talking about here is when the Israelites intermarry with the Canaanites of the region who are still pagans, who want nothing to do with Judaism, who want nothing to do with the Israeli faith and just remain pagan Canaanites. God says that he will no longer bless the Israelites that choose to intermarry with those men and women. And notice what he says here. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive them out of your land. Th there's two reasons for this. When you marry somebody, scripture is pretty clear that it's for life. Like that's supposed to be your lifelong spouse. And so... One of the reasons I think why God would no longer drive out the Canaanites is because they intermarried with each other. They were married. They became a union together. And so God is not going to, in a way, rip apart that union, if that makes sense. Now, of course, that's my own take on stuff. But the other reason is because, like I said at the beginning, the Israelites chose the Canaanites over God. They chose to intermarry to worship pagan gods, to accept and tolerate paganism instead of clinging fast to God and being careful to love God. In verse 11, they weren't careful to love God. They loved a Canaanite woman or man more than they loved God. And so because of that, God was no longer going to drive out the Canaanites 
from that region. And so God says, basically, when this happens, (laughs) not if, but when, (laughs) he says, they're going to be a snare and a trap to you and a whip for your backs and thorny brambles in your eyes. So I like to I like to go berry picking during this time of year. And I live in the middle of the sticks. So there's berries everywhere. And uh, most of the the berries I pick are like blackberries or black raspberries. And so um, I have to wear like literal protective gear (laughs) when I go out to pick berries because of those sharp little uh, brambles and all those little uh, what are those things? thorns that just get stuck everywhere. I can't even imagine getting those things in your eyes. You know, that would just be painful and awful. And that's what God says that the Canaanites are going to become for the Israelites. They're going to be like thorny brambles in your eyes. Oh, I can't even imagine how painful that would be. Your eyes would water, you know, it would it would just cause you so much pain. And it says You will vanish from this good land the Lord your God has given you, which of course does end up happening. But now in verse 14 through 16 to conclude, soon I will die going the way of everything on earth. So in other words, Joshua was saying, I'm going to die just like everybody does. Deep in your hearts, you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. So he's saying, you guys know in your hearts that God is the truth. You know it. So don't turn away from him. You already have the truth. Don't deviate from the truth. But as surely as the Lord your God has given you the good things he has promised, he will also bring disaster on you if you disobey him. He will completely destroy you from this good land he has given you. If you break the covenant of the Lord your God by worshiping and serving other gods, His anger will burn against you. You will quickly vanish from the good land he has given you. Now, of course, God is extremely, extremely merciful. And every single time God destroys something, he gives the the people of that region time to repent. You're going to notice that as a theme throughout scripture. Even the Egyptians, when he sent the, uh, the plagues, he gave Pharaoh and he gave the people many, many chances to turn towards him and allow the Israelites to go free, basically. But of course, that didn't end up happening. And so God sent the uh, the plagues on Egypt. And even a handful of times already that we've seen with the Canaanite lands that the Israelites destroyed already. I mean, God gave Jericho an extra seven days of the, the men marching around that city for them to repent. Now, of course, Rahab did repent. And she was saved in the process. But the other Canaanite regions did not repent. They just would not turn away from worshiping their pagan gods, even though they knew Yahweh's name. They knew his name because Rahab herself was like, everyone knows Yahweh's name because he's famous because of what he did to the Egyptians. We've heard about him. We know that he is your God. But yet they wouldn't turn towards Yahweh. They wanted to keep worshiping their own pagan gods for whatever reason. So my call to action, I guess, here is what are you worshiping that you think is better than God? God is the only one that has the truth. 
Even as Joshua said here, you know in your hearts that it's God that truly has the truth. So why won't you worship him? And why won't you worship him fully? It needs to be just God. It can't be God and this thing over here. It can't be God and self. It can't be God and whatever else that you're believing in. God is the truth. So we need to worship him fully. And in verse 11, what does Joshua say? Be very careful to love the Lord your God. So that's how I'm going to end today's episode. Faithful listeners, be careful this week and the rest of your lives to love the Lord your God. All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for enjoying today's episode with me and sharing your cup of seven weeks coffee. Once again, you'll find the link for that in the description of this podcast episode. Now, I have a YouTube video that is going to be going up very soon. So stay tuned for that. Faithful listeners, I will see you all tomorrow for an episode out of John. And then we'll be moving into the book of Acts very, very soon. And actually next week, we'll be moving into the book of Judges as well. And all of this will still be season six of the podcast since we flew through the book of Joshua. But anyway, friends and faithful listeners, I will see you all tomorrow. Happy listening and God bless. <laughs>